You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, we are glad that you are tuning in again today to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is a podcast with the Preston Crest Church Christ here in Dallas, Texas. We hope that you're having a great new year of 2021. And as we begin this new year, we have a brand new series in the month of January where we are going to be talking about evangelism. Evangelism is something that Jesus clearly wanted for his church as evidenced by the Great Commission at the end of each gospel account. But I've also been so encouraged by being here at Pressing Crest. We end every elders meeting prayer by praying that our church could be more evangelistic in the coming days and coming weeks and months and years. And so I thought as we began this new year uh, that it would be a great way to try to see some of that come to fruition by having this series on evangelism. And today, for our first guest of the new year, first guest of this new series, I've asked Dr. Matthew Marine, who preaches for the Castle Rock Church Christ in Castle Rock, Colorado, to come on and be with us. Matthew, we are glad that you're here with us today. Thank you for having me, Jacob. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your ministry, family, background, and then we'll get going with the uh, questions and conversation. Well, I have two beautiful kids. I am married. I live in Castle Rock, Colorado. I'm originally from Nova Scotia, Canada, and I did not grow up in the church. I grew up as a heathen, and so that has always kind of made me want to reach others for Christ and encourage the church to do that as well. I'm into tennis, uh, tennis, uh, mountain climbing, running. I like playing a lot of chess. And that's about it. Okay. Well, I uh, wanted to have you on because, as you said, uh, you did not grow up in the church, came to Christ later on in life. And uh, you've also been a very prolific writer within Churches of Christ. You've written a couple of books uh, through the Gospel Advocate, and you've written one on evangelism that we'll talk about in just a few moments. Uh, Glad to have someone on who's into hiking. Everyone else has been either from Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, or Arkansas, so they don't do a whole lot of hiking. So glad to have some somebody from up north who knows a little bit about hiking. Um, why don't we get into this first question? You've already alluded to it. And that first question is, Matthew, how, how did you come to Christ since it was later in life? Well, I started going to church because a family named the Garnett family that actually lives in Texas right now, their, one of their daughters invited me to church, and I wanted to go to church because she and her family would cook for me. 
<laughs> and I really enjoyed that. And so whatever I suggested they cook for me that Sunday, they would actually make. So I thought, this is fantastic. These people think I actually want to come to church to hear the gospel. <laughs> I want it to stuff my face. <laughs> and then I ended up uh, kind of studying with the dad some, and then they invited me to help them move back to Texas. He was actually from Canada. The 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 mother, the wife was from uh, Mason, Texas. And so I was asked to drive the family van while he drove the U-Haul all the way there. And I never really left Canada. So that was a huge event. The problem was I had a girlfriend. And the girlfriend didn't really think I should be gallivanting around another country with another girl. And so I remember her giving me an ultimatum. She said, it's Texas or me. <laughs> I said, I can get another girlfriend, but another free trip to Texas probably was not going to happen. So I chose Texas, and I was baptized in Texas, which all Texans say that I will be first in line for heaven now. Well, they're absolutely correct about that. Mason, <laughs> Texas. That is yeah. a small place. I know exactly where that is because my first job was in Lano, Texas, which is just 30 miles to the east of Mason, right off of Highway 29 there in Texas. So were you baptized in Mason? No, I was baptized in Oasis Canyon, which is mm -hmm. by Uvalde, even smaller of a town. And it was kind of providential because uh, Brian Garnett, the preacher there, he was trying out that Sunday. And then I came forward and I got baptized at that congregation. So two things happened. Of course, he got the job because he brought his own converts. <laughs> and then when I wanted to go down to preaching training school, there was an individual in that congregation who paid for everything because he said, if you are a part of this congregation, we will support you to go to preaching training school. And he said, well, we baptized him. I guess we better claim him. Wow. Yeah. I knew a little bit about that story, but I did not know about Uvalde and Mason. So I know exactly where those towns are. And yeah, what a what a tryout Sunday to preach your first sermon and have a baptism. I mean, that's a that's a guaranteed hire, isn't it? Yeah, he stayed there for twenty some years. Okay. Over twenty some years. Had a great ministry, great guy. Very good. Okay, so you went to um, preaching school because that church helped you go there. Now, I've got to ask, you made the comment, I can get another girlfriend, but a free trip to Texas, I can't get another one of those. Did you lose the girlfriend coming to Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was done with me, <laughs> okay. and and that was fine. That was one of those providential things. Uh, that, that that probably really helped him with my conversion anyway. <laughs> okay, so that's not that's not your wife then. No, okay. no, no, no. So uh, I did not end up. People always think I married the preacher's daughter. That is not the case, and I definitely lost the uh, girlfriend from Nova Scotia. I I upgraded. Okay, okay, <laughs> very good. Okay, so you went to preaching school, and obviously, just by listening to you already, you became very passionate about leading other people to Christ. So when exactly do you think that light switch turned on in your heart to become really interested and involved in evangelism? I felt it. I, I still look back at my greatest day and moment. It was when I came up out of that water and the joy of my salvation. And, and I think I realized the difference Christ makes I think people who have always had Christ and the teachings of Christ in their lives, 
they don't have such a radical change. Mm-hmm. Where with me, there is a radical change. And I still remember being brand new baptized Christian, and I got on a plane, and I think I talked to some lady on the plane the entire way about Christianity, which at that point I probably knew nothing. Mm-hmm. So I probably just repeated myself every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I think I just have a passion for it because I know it makes such a difference in people's life. People need Jesus. like. Mm-hmm. They need Jesus. He's the only way for them to find true contentment and joy in life. Right. And if you don't have them, you don't realize what you're missing. Right. Absolutely. So I love your words. I felt it. Uh, I felt it. And that's that's how it's supposed to be. That's how Scripture describes it. I think back to uh, what David wrote in Psalm 51, you know, after he's had the terrible sin and tragedy that takes place with Bathsheba. Some of his words are what you just said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And how when we come up out of the waters of baptism, that is supposed to be a moment of tremendous joy. Uh, And evangelism is a response of that joy. It's kind of a cause and effect thing. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about on that plane. You said that you just talked with this lady about Jesus the whole trip. Tell me a little bit more about that conversation. I think she was a very nice lady because she listened to me the entire time and nothing ever came of it. But I, I just remember I'm a talker too. Mm-hmm. Like if, mm-hmm. if, if I'm into something, I think everybody should be into it. Mm-hmm. And, and I just remember sitting there trying to tell her about Jesus and salvation. And, and I look back about how ignorant I was, but it was just, it was simple to me. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. we all sin. We all need Jesus. Here's how to be saved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably all I said. I don't remember too much about it besides I probably annoyed her to death. Huh. And she probably wished she had some like big headphones so she could give me like the body language. She's like, leave me alone. But that was back in the 90s and she didn't have those skills. <laughs> she didn't have the earbuds like I'm looking at right now, looking at you over the screen that you're wearing. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Uh you know, I spent a, a little bit of time as a financial advisor, and that was one thing that they trained us with in our training was uh, you've got to eat, live, and breathe this stuff, and uh, people need to know how passionate you are about whatever you're trying to encourage them to invest in, whether it be a stock or an indexed universal life policy. You've got to just be able to talk about it where they see in in you and hearing your voice this is important. And so we train to eat, live, and breathe uh, either different investments or different insurance policies or no one else would be interested in it if we weren't interested in it. And I think, I think that's, uh, so true about evangelism too. If we're not interested in Jesus, people can tell, and we're not going to talk yeah. about him. If if we don't care about him, we're certainly not going to talk about him. Yeah. And, uh, Man, that's really encouraging listening to you talk about that. So you wrote a book, I referenced this a few minutes ago, but you wrote a book entitled Natural Evangelism, uh, which I've read. Very good book, by the way. Why why did you write that book? Well, I wrote a dissertation on how to help mainstream churches of Christ be more missional. Mm. And that term missional is no longer really used in our world these days because it became super not popular but it really just means outreach how how do we get the church outside of the building and into the community 
And I've noticed that all of a lot of our churches, I don't mean all, but a lot of our churches, they're, they're just very internally focused. They're just feeding the flock, which is a great thing, but they're not putting the emphasis and the effort into uh, reaching those who need Jesus. And so I did this whole dissertation. I studied it for five years. I, I did all the academic stuff and then tried to do it at Castle Rock and completely failed. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It's hard. <laughs> it's super hard. Right. And so I learned a lot about what not to do. And so the key to life in evangelism isn't, will you fail? Of course you're going to fail. But the difference is you got to pick yourself back up and do it again. And so then I took all that academic research and all of what I learned and put it into a book that people can understand and the key to evangelism is not a program it's not some emphasis for the year it is natural it's just who we are and the reason we're sharing jesus is because we can't help but share jesus and nobody wants to be manipulated right. nobody wants to be like tricked into jesus and so i gave them tools um, that they can use to help them share their story and their love for Jesus with others. Man, that is so good. Yeah, it is supposed to be natural, and um, no one likes a pushy salesman. I mean, no one, no one likes pushy salesmen, and everyone can tell the difference between someone selling a product and then someone selling a service. You know what I mean? Yep. Like uh, the difference between something that you need this versus you could have this. And when it's more natural, um, people are more interested. And we've all seen salesmen who walk around with their little flip charts and booklets and statistics and want you to look at this chart and that chart. Those salesmen are not nearly as successful as the salesmen who can just talk about the industry or whatever it may be like it's their natural common vocabulary. And uh, I think there are some Christians who are trying to operate under the evangelism uh, mission with that kind of flip chart <laughs> mentality of the salesman, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I, I call it the paint-by-numbers evangelism. You have your little booklet, you have your little verses, and you sit somebody down, and you go through each little numbered kind of mm -hmm. unit, and people— I don't think they really gravitate towards that. It feels mm -hmm. unnatural, and they they feel like you're just kind of teaching them how to paint by numbers. I think people are a lot more receptive when they see that you have really made a change in your life and that you care about this stuff, and they mm -hmm. see you with that true joy of Christ. doesn't mean we're always happy, but they see that that is your rock. Absolutely. So one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on today to kind of kick off the new year and kick off this series is because, um, as we've already mentioned, you are in Colorado, which is by no means part of the quote-unquote Bible belt of the United States. You know, we used to joke at Harding when I was a student there that you had the Bible belt, but that the cities of Dallas and Dallas and Nashville were kind of the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, Colorado is nowhere near the belt. So... The title of this episode is Evangelism in Remote Places. What are the most pressing challenges for evangelism in, in your state of Colorado? Weed. 
Nah, 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 nah. But everybody thinks that, though. <laughs> oh, that, that's, I wasn't expecting that, but okay. Fair enough. I think in Castle Rock, and I can speak to Castle Rock, first of all, for our own location, is affluence. So we have a lot of people who are genuinely quite content. Uh, Jesus is nice. I'll make some time for that every now and then. But typically, there's not a hunger for Christ because of affluence has kind of made them content enough. You know, they're not looking for the joy of salvation. They got a joy in the brand new car. And so mm -hmm. I think you have a genuine apathy because of that and and then the second one is i think it's positive though that people are looking for jesus here they're not looking for a brand of jesus they're looking for a real faith journey and they're looking for god and so when i was in the south sometimes people would just tune you out because you were church of christ mm -hmm. here if i'm hungry just give me Jesus and tell me what I need to do to be pleasing to him. So we've had some really successful people, like mm -hmm. PhDs, high executives, actually come. And, and what's amazing about that is when they get converted, man, they bring a lot to the table. And Absolutely. I mean by that leadership skills, financial skills, and then they just start supporting stuff and they get encouraged by it. But the problem is they're not always receptive. I always say, if you've ever been door knocking in the affluent neighborhood, in contrast to kind of the social poorer neighborhood, the affluent neighborhood, nobody's going to be mean, but nobody's going to talk to you. Mm -hmm. In the poor neighborhood, they'll talk to you, but they may be mean. Mm -hmm. and But you can't get anywhere unless people talk to you. Right. Door knocking in the affluent neighborhood, we used to call that gate knocking because everyone lived in gated communities. You didn't actually didn't get yeah. up their door. Okay. Um, interesting. So that sounds a little bit like Dallas with the affluence. Um, that's always a struggle. Jesus alluded to that, that the wealthy, um, they don't feel the need to have God as much as someone does who doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from, which is a very logical thing. So the, the, the strategy for us here, and I bet it's going to be a lot. One of the reasons I moved to Colorado, because I want it to be on the forefront mm -hmm. of society and the secularization of society. And so I could help churches reach out, but I had to go experience it. So one of the things I do in Castle Rock is my tennis ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, rich people like their kids playing tennis. Mm-hmm. And it gives me an opportunity to build relationships with them where I remember when I was doing my missional stuff, I always was like a second class missional guy because I didn't have a soup kitchen. <laughs> and I was like, there's nobody who needs a soup kitchen in Castle Rock. But I'll tell you, I got about 200 kids that I work with for tennis that I can get to know. And I've had people come to church because of those relationships that's incredible. so you have to you have to connect on a hobby or an interest mm -hmm. for the affluence that's such a good point because that's a good reminder there is not a one-size-fits-all method to evangelism and um, the evangelism that 
does happen, as your book suggests, the most naturally is by far the most successful. Um, as I read the New Testament and understand the New Testament, and I readily admit I'm often flawed in my understanding of things, but the apostles didn't have to try to talk about Jesus. I mean, the way Peter described it is, you know, we were there on the mountain. We saw him with our own eyes. Uh, we speak of things that we've seen, that we have heard. Uh, Peter and John telling the Sanhedrin, we can't stop talking about him. Um, this is just who we are. So the more natural we make it, the better. You've kind of already alluded to some of the benefits of evangelism in Colorado, and I love what you mentioned. People are just hungry for Jesus in Colorado. It's not as much about which church are you with, because churches are not as prevalent uh, in Colorado as they would be in Texas, specifically in in the Dallas area. Okay, so if someone wanted to make evangelism their New Year's resolution for 2021, how would you tell them to start and keep going? I would tell them to learn to share their story through the AIM approach. Okay? Okay. So aim your stories this way. The first thing with AIM is authentic. Okay. When you talk about Jesus, don't talk about, well, my life is perfect. I'm perfect. I've never had any struggles. But Jesus is a nice companion. You start with your weaknesses or what you have struggled with. So be authentic. So if you want people to talk to you about faith, you got to start with authenticity. Okay? It's even though you're a Christian, doesn't mean you have everything together. Mm -hmm. Okay? Start that way. And then the second one is to create interest of the eye of the aim. And that means wherever they're at, doesn't matter. It could be somebody who's struggling with addiction. It could be somebody who... They're struggling with how to raise kids. Wherever they're at, talk about how Christ has helped you in that area. Okay? Okay. And then the final one is for the aim is made in the difference Christ has made in your life. So I've had weakness. You connect it to their interest. And then you say, and here's the difference that Christ has made in that area. And I think that opens up people's receptivity to then talking more with you about Christ. That's that's excellent. Aim, authentic interest made. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about, <laughs> I hate to say this, but infomercials that you see on TV specifically, don't want to get too salesman here, but specifically this time of year with like weight loss programs, that's exactly what their approach is. Someone who has had a bunch of weight loss, the beginning of the advertisement is, hey, I've struggled with my weight and eating habits. The middle of the advertisement is, here's the process of what you go through to lose weight, what you eat, the exercise, whatever it may be. And then the last part of the advertisement is what? The after picture of yep. here's the transformation that I actually did um, witness in my own life. I was at a bad place. Here's how I changed. And here's what it look like now. That's what yep. you're describing. It's exactly yeah. what you're describing. <laughs> um, and there's nothing wrong with using good persuasion to help you uh, get people uh, willing to have those conversations. So if you're looking at one thing, think about your aim story 
and what you would say to people and then lead in with people with that aim story when you have an opening. So the next question I had is uh, where and when do you think we mess up when it comes to leading others to Christ? Because we obviously don't always do it the right way. So I, I love this question because we will mess up plenty mm-hmm. and it will be fine. And so what the big mess up is, is making it so skill-oriented or so technical that people don't do it. So the big mess up is just not doing it. But if you look at the parable of the sower, and that guy doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's just flinging seed every direction. Mm -hmm. He's throwing it on the rocky soil. He gets some on the good soil. He gets some in the thorn bushes. That guy's an awful farmer. I would fire him. Mm-hmm. But you notice he's flinging it, but it's still successful. So I would not worry about what's going wrong. Just focus on flinging some seed, getting the seed out there, and God will allow it to hit the right soils. Your job is to do it. Let God handle the soils. And so I think the number one thing that we mess up on is just not doing it, not getting the seed out there. Mm-hmm. Sower can't sow at all. Mm-hmm. So but he's still successful. So you have a tennis ministry and coach a lot of kids in tennis. I'm, I don't have a golf ministry, but I've taught a lot of people, you know, how to improve their golf swing, and kind of with that same mindset. Uh, when you're teaching someone to play golf, really for the first three months, the only thing I want them to focus on is making contact with that little golf ball. I don't care if it goes left. I don't care if it goes right. I don't care how high it goes or if it even gets off the ground. Just if you can put the club face on the golf ball, you're already way ahead because someone who's never played golf, you may look at that and say, that can't be too hard. Go out to a driving range and see how many times you swing and miss. Um, Learning how to compress the ball or fade the ball or draw the ball or hit the ball a long way, that comes with time. But you have to at least make contact before you do those other things. What you're saying makes me think about that. In evangelism, the first step, it sounds so simple, but the first step is just do something, right? (laughs) If you don't even try, if you don't even make contact with another human being, nothing's going to happen. As being Canadian, let me quote the great Canadian ambassador, Wayne Gretzky. (laughs) You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Exactly. Exactly. And, And that's the thing. We're not taking our evangelism shots. We're not even trying. Right, right. So well said. So here's a question um, that preachers debate all the time, and maybe we miss the mark by debating this question because we may be missing the whole point. But here's the question for people listening who don't have it in front of them. In evangelism, should we move from the story of the gospel to different doctrines If so, when and how far into the process? Let me say that another way. Do we ever get away from just the story of Jesus into more specific things like predestination, baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit, things of that nature that have a little bit more teeth on them than just Jesus of Nazareth? Yes. I, 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 I think... And and when we try to separate, it's kind of the in the preaching circle, text or gospel, mm-hmm. story or doctrine. 
And I see it all one and the same. Mm -hmm. So I would lead with story, especially for somebody who does not have a religious background. Mm -hmm. And before I would want to start going into a lot of the specifics on doctrine, I would rather see them saved mm -hmm. where, you know, get them to that point, because that's the most important thing. Whatever they believe about predestination is going to be irrelevant. If they're not baptized Christians. Right, right. <laughs> like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to phrase it. What is the they're, point? They're going to hell, but at least they know it's not going to be a thousand-year reign beforehand. Like, right. come on now. Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, but I think once you do that, you see in the Great Commission, you know, teaching them, having them saved, and then teaching them. And so I think it's important for them to have a really robust faith of doctrinal understandings. And and it depends on where they're at in the journey. So mm -hmm. to have to sit down with somebody and start talking a whole bunch of doctrine and they're saying, Jesus, who's that? Like I remember studying with a couple and uh, I was telling them about Jesus and his disciples. And she's like, what's a disciple? And the guy looks at her, her boyfriend, and goes, oh, they're like Jesus' gang members. <laughs> okay, am I going to start using, you know, predestination terms on her? No, that, right. that's not. Right. So. Yeah, I'm glad you made that point, too, about what Jesus says in the Great Commission, that formula of teach, baptize, continue to teach. And that's, uh, you know, that's manifested in human form in Acts I guess, 18 with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. You know, the scripture says Apollos is a, is a learned man, good understanding of the text, but he still needs to be instructed on further things. So I think, you know, that that's an example there that evangelism doesn't ever really stop. You have your convert, but they're not a full-fledged disciple yet. They're just a convert. They're a babe in Christ, and we have to bring them on and help them see some of the deeper truths of the New Testament. Yeah. Okay, so here's the next question. We got two more. Uh, in a few words, answer this question: Evangelism is, and evangelism is not. Evangelism is you telling your story. Evangelism is not manipulation. Mm. That doesn't need much clarification, but I think that's a excellent answer. Not manipulation. If it is manipulation, it's not going to stick. And I think yeah. we've all seen churches uh, where X number of people are baptized in one year, and we're proud of that. And then the following year, 1% to 2% of them are still around. Yeah. There's many reasons if, why that could happen, but manipulation is always at the top of the list. If I'm evangelizing you, I love you. I care about you. This is not a number thing. This is not something we can put on the church rolls. This is because I genuinely care. And mm -hmm. if you're not genuinely caring for these people, and if it's just a task, that's that's not evangelism. Right. So how do we equip our churches to be more evangelistic? We need to start to pray. If you look at Matthew chapter 9 into Matthew chapter 10, it's fascinating because the disciples come, and then in 10, this is where he's calling his disciples and putting them into the limited commission, we call it. But right before that, he is saying, pray that more workers mm -hmm. will enter the field. We are constantly saying, let's pray for the lost. That's not the problem. 
the save will come uh, or the loss will come if the save will go. Mm. The issue is the saved are not going. And so he actually says, pray for us, the saved, because that's where the problem starts. And I feel like there's uh, the fields are white on the harvest. Mm-hmm. Jesus says they are. But if we'll go, there will be a harvest. But we have to start praying for our churches to be more evangelistic, that there will be more workers out into the field. So that's that's what I would say is the number most important thing. Start praying for more workers. Pray for ourselves that we get passionate about evangelism. I love your line there. If the saved will go, the lost will come. Um Man, that's spot on. And there's there is a time uh, you gotta stop praying. <laughs> you know, we have that story in the Old Testament where Israel's been crying out, crying out, crying out, and God basically just tells Moses, "Would you just stop praying and go do what I've told you to do?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a time. There's a time for everything, as Solomon says. There's a time to pray, and there's also a time to get going. And yep. uh, we need to get going. We need to get going. We need to realize. Um, Time is short. As we're recording this right now, my phone is blowing up on my notifications from Fox News and CNN and other media outlets. People have stormed and protested and now are inside the United States Capitol. Um, Our country's in a mess, and uh, this world is in a mess, and people are dying every day around us who don't know Jesus and uh, we either believe that's a problem or we don't. <laughs> if we yeah. believe it's a problem, we need to try to lead people to Jesus before it's too late. So, Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your book. I think that's only appropriate for this podcast. Where can we find your book on evangelism and all that good stuff? You can get it at Gospel Advocate. And okay. So they'll they'll have it, and then. So if anybody wants more of this uh, type of training, you can grab the book. I do uh, evangelism workshop for congregation as well. I remember it was funny when you said, how do we equip our church to become more evangelistic? I thought about being self-serving and say, buy my book and get my workshop. And then I thought that seems kind of tacky. But that's how you can do it. And, And really, anybody can do evangelism and anybody can get it going. So Right. Absolutely. I think you were at Greenville Avenue last year, weren't you? Oh, here in, yeah. Here in Dallas, I had a great just a time couple, there. Yeah, that there are so a couple exits from us uh, here in North Dallas. What a what a great church over at Greenville Avenue. And, and they do evangelism well there. They absolutely yeah. do. Okay. Well, Matthew, thank you for being with us today as we finish this podcast, the first one of the year. I want to remind you that along this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready help you navigate your journey and as always keep your eyes on heaven and be looking for those people this week that you can tell your story to and introduce them to jesus god bless and we will talk to you next time